BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In this hour of the program, we're talking all things national politics with political analyst Meredith Shiner. And the Heartland Mamas are back. I repeat, the Heartland Mamas are back. Murray Briel and Heidi Henry. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. The Heartland Mamas are underway. They're uh, whipping up the highway right now from Grundy County. Kind of tell us uh, how the Democrats can take back Trump, uh, take it, get back the vote in Trump County before we get the Heartland Mamas on. We got Meredith Shiner on. You might remember her from a bonus interview. It's about about a month or so ago, Meredith. And I said as soon as Zena was it's, over. It's been 10 years in real political time, I think. But yeah, I think it's only actually been a few weeks. It has been 10 years. Uh, the last time you were here, uh, and let's just say Meredith uh, covered Washington for many years for political roll call uh, and Yahoo News, so she knows a thing or two about uh, Congress and White House and how they interact. The last time you were here, it seemed as though the investigation into Donald Trump's uh, wheeling and dealing with the Russians had hit a, a wall, and it was uncertain if Nancy Pelosi was ever going to greenlight uh, an impeachment inquiry, much less an impeachment vote. Uh, it seems as though Donald Trump was wandering around the world, pounding his chest, victorious. I mean, then, I think he was going to oh, do that no matter what. Yes, um, He'll probably be doing that tomorrow. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, completely regardless of situation. No. So we were here a few weeks ago. It didn't look like we were close to any sort of formal impeachment inquiry. Uh, But one of the things that I've been saying this week, because people have asked me about it uh, and what might have changed, and we can talk about the substance of what has changed. But one of the things that I like to talk about in terms of Nancy Pelosi is that in the decade that I've been following her closely, Nancy Pelosi has never held a vote that she didn't have the votes for. And so I think that when you saw Adam Schiff's letter about this whistleblower and as more details have become apparent, the second that Nancy Pelosi said she was opening the inquiry was the second that I knew that she had the votes, right? And we've seen in the past few days that more and more House Democrats uh, have said that they support impeachment. Um, And we can talk about the whole menu of reasons why House Democrats do at this point. But I think the big difference between last time we talked and now is that Nancy was confident that her entire caucus was going to support this on the floor. And now you're only seeing a, a handful of holdouts. You're seeing more than 200 125 uh, House Democrats saying that they support this. And so I think in the weeks and potentially months ahead, we're going to see an investigation run out of the Intelligence Committee. I think that's intentional, right? People asked why it would be an intel when traditionally um, you would see this happening out of judiciary. And yes, like the Intelligence Committee is involved because of what this whistleblower uncovered. But I also think it's, it, it's because Nancy trusts Adam Schiff, who's the House Intelligence Chairman, more than she trusts Jerry Nadler at this point. And you can see by the way that this week has unfolded that Schiff really has the savvy 
to create the case against Donald Trump. And the media pressure I think that we're seeing this week is a result of his smarts in terms of how to create the story and how to unearth the facts. All right, let's take it uh, point by point. You've given us a lot. and uh, there, There's just, a lot in the world. Lot, but there's a lot of good stuff to <laughs> yeah. deal with. So let's start with Adam Schiff's role to explain to mm-hmm. people exactly who Adam Schiff is and the role he played in the unveiling of the story. Yeah, so Adam Schiff is a member of the House from California, but most importantly for this conversation, he is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. If you remember from Bob Mueller Day on Capitol Hill, there were two hearings that Mueller testified in front of. It was judiciary and it was intelligence. Uh, and the House Intelligence Committee has really been focused on uh, the way that the, that Russia or other countries have been interfering with our elections, right? The part of the Mueller port that was a little less salacious, right, but possibly more important in terms of the integrity of the republic because it had to do all with the security of our elections. Um, and so... We know that there ha- that this whistleblower report has been out there for weeks. Uh, we know that uh, one of the reasons we hadn't seen it was because the White House didn't want us to see it, and the CIA had made the unusual move of, of, of asking the White House what to do with it. Uh, possibly Bill Barr was involved in terms of trying to keep this from getting out there. And the reason we're having this conversation today is, if you recall, several days ago, Adam Schiff put out a statement I think that set off all of the alarm bells and sirens for reporters because it made it alluded to this whistleblower report. It alluded to really damaging information that this whistleblower um, had potentially divulged. And the reason you saw people digging, the reason why we're seeing stories in The Washington Post and The New York Times is really because this statement from Adam Schiff set the ball in motion. Um, one of the things that's been talked about today is that there are actually two whistleblowers. There's one. Um, who has whistleblown about the IRS uh, and um, obstructing in terms of Trump's tax returns. Uh, But the chairman of that committee of jurisdiction had gone to a judge to try to force the administration to turn over documents and has not found success in going through the legal system and getting that whistleblower report. So what Adam Schiff did and what he was savvy enough to do was if I put out this statement Mm -hmm. telegraphing that this exists, I can direct reporters in the right direction. I can set off basically the administration into this crazy defensive mode where now we see Rudy Giuliani sharing his personal texts on national television. <laughs> I right? missed that. Oh my, I missed oh, that. This was, oh, this was last night. <laughs> Here's the thing. That. Like, I don't know yeah. if like somehow yeah. Rudy Giuliani yeah. is like the Manchurian candidate yeah. of this and bringing down the whole administration or if he's just lost his mind. But um, <laughs> he was sharing texts with State Department yeah. officials. He's implicating everyone yeah. and more people nightly on Fox News. Um, so anyway, so Adam Schiff is really smart. I remember thinking um, when the majority uh, flipped this past Congress that it was it was really important and it was really good that he was in this position. Talk about the difference between him and his predecessor at intelligence before uh, the flip of uh, the House. I mean, Devin Nunes, who says that liberals are trying to like unearth naked pictures of Donald Trump. Like if you're going to choose a conspiracy, choose one that at least feels real, right? No one wants to see that. Uh, No, I mean, there's a total difference because one person is a professional and one person isn't. Um, and, And, you know, it's been... 
revealing to see Republicans talk this week. The number of Senate Republicans who said that they hadn't had a chance to read this whistleblower report, it wasn't a 400-page document. It was nine pages. They've seen it. This was like every time former House Speaker Paul Ryan was asked if he had seen a tweet, and he was like, I don't look at tweets. You saw it. You knew. Like, it was your job to know the political story of the day. So, you know, these senators have seen it. They're going on this two-week recess. And, um, you know, we were sort of talking about this before the show. What will be really revealing and what will be really important and incumbent upon House Democrats to do is to be really intentional and deliberate about how they're unearthing information uh, throughout this, um, you know, inquiry process. All right. Now, let me let me stop you right there. Yeah. Uh, Oh, my God. There's been so much talk. Uh, about this, uh, one ob- one one theory put out there, which I don't buy, mm-hmm. is that somehow or other uh, Donald Trump is this mastermind who uh, threw out the bait. Uh, the Democrats grabbed for it uh, to have an impeachment inquiry uh, into something that is not going to be substantial, and the Democrats will be embarrassed. This is actually a theory that some people, Democrats have come in, they're so paranoid, they got so much post-traumatic stress disorder, Meredith. So I don't believe that for for one moment, but please entertain, just just entertain that notion. Is there even a possibility that that could be the case? So I'm not even going to like accept the premise of your question because I think one of the most damaging things about the conversation about this impeachment, and and I think it's still a hangover from the Bill Clinton impeachment, is that this is about politics. At the end of the day, this is about a constitutional obligation. And so even if starting this inquiry means that Donald Trump could win, First of all, he could win anyway. I mean, look at what what's actually happening to our election systems. We're not passing election security bills. We have a completely defanged Voting Rights Act. So the Department of Justice, even if it wanted to act, doesn't have the tools it once did mm-hmm. to protect voters. Like, whether or not Donald Trump wins the next election, that doesn't matter because this process should happen because it's a constitutional obligation. It's about being on the right side of history. It's about fulfilling the duty of the office. I saw Doug Jones, who's the senator from Alabama, Mm. posted on Twitter yesterday. He said, I wish reporters would stop asking me what I I think this means for my reelection. This isn't about my election. This is about the oath of office that I have taken. Right. And they're like Donald Trump has admitted to doing this. Rudy Giuliani has talked about doing this. The attorney general, who, by the way, has already provided probably ample enough reason for Congress to impeach him based on how he behaved during the Mueller report, is potentially implicated in this, too. And so either you believe in the republic and the institutions and defending them or you don't. And that was what was so confusing, I think, about Nancy Pelosi's posture before this. Talk about that. Um, Because I think she she was making a political calculation, right? I think she was apprehensive, too. And again, Clinton impeachment hangover, maybe, that this would galvanize the right. But at the end of the day, the politics of a that they're ancillary. It's about um, whether or not you believe that the legislative branch should actually be a legitimate check on an executive, whether or not it should be able to use every tool at its disposal to be able to 
expel a president who, by all accounts and what we know right now, has violated his oath of office and is potentially, based on his own admission, colluding with a foreign government to affect the 2020 election. After he did it in 2016. So, you know, again, I think that Nancy moved forward because she had the support of basically her entire caucus. And with this new push this week, she had no choice. Because if she didn't, there was another political calculation for her, which was that she was going to so depress the base that that Democrats were going to be so frustrated that they were doing nothing, that it would be problematic, which is not to say that people weren't going to be motivated to turn out in 2020. I think that people will be. Um, But I I think that she got to this place where there was absolutely no choice. No, there was no. And by the way, there was a danger. I do believe you're absolutely correct. There was a danger of depression setting in. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's this, we've had this conversation to show since the last time you were here at great length, where Rahm got on uh, ABC TV after the the debates and said that the the base will show up regardless. And most of the people who trot through the studio say, no, you cannot assume that your base is, you have to give them a reason. You got to get fired up. Definitely Trump's going to be doing that on his side. And uh, so if the Democrats just rolled over and let Trump in the aftermath of Lewandowski's testimony, which we talked about at length in the show, so, uh, and the way he just gave Thankfully, the middle. Thankfully, I was re- actually really busy at my day job oh, that day God, and missed most missed of it, it happening He just basically, basically gave the middle finger, two middle fingers high to the Democrats. And then the, so that after a while, it's just like Trump feels he can get away with anything. Trump's people feel they can get away with anything. The Democrats are just going to roll over. So I do believe you're absolutely correct. I think there would have been an impact on yeah. turnout if the Democrats hadn't been vigilant at this you know, point. You but know, I, but I do really think that it's important to view this divorce from politics but I, but i having said that having said that um what i will also say and mm-hmm. what we were talking about a little bit before uh, i came on was you know i've seen a lot of conversation about what will happen you know once the house writes the articles of impeachment votes on it and kicks this to the senate right because um if you think about impeachment uh the house is like the prosecutors yes. and then the court is the Senate, mm-hmm. right? And they get to choose whether or not to vote to indict the president. Well, well, and, um, you know, a lot of people talked about, well, you know, if if we can't get mm-hmm. a Senate vote, why would we do it in the House? Yeah. One, you should put pressure on the Senate. But two, I think, you know, you saw like Jeff Flake saying that there are 35 secret Republican votes for impeachment in the Senate, which is like nonsense. But what I will say is this, is that Mitch McConnell is smarter than most people in the administration and he is much more calculating. And so if he makes the calculation that he thinks the prospects for the Republican Party in 2020 are better without Trump, he will do it because all he cares about is stacking the judiciary for a lifetime and he cares about unlimited money in politics. And so if he looks at this and he gets to a place where he makes the decision that his party is better off without Trump, the reason why they've circled around him is for now they've felt like there's a certain floor to where Republicans are. There's a certain unmovable base for Trump. But what we're seeing is that perceptions are starting to shift. And if House Democrats do like the impeachment inquiry correctly, if they're able to continue to unearth more 
and it's shared properly, I think you're going to see public sentiment shift. And if Mitch McConnell thinks that there's a significant shift in the Republican Party, I think you could actually see them act. I'm not I'm not I won't guarantee it, but I think that that's the way we're in which it happens. All right. Before we get to the Republicans in the Senate, let's talk about what Schiff should do or how the investigation in the House will unfold. What's your sense of how it will unfold? So the preliminary reporting suggests that they want to get a House floor vote by Thanksgiving. So that gives us about two months. Um, They're on a two week recess now. Um, So, you know, I think that there's some sense and what's been reported uh, to date is that they think because the president has already admitted to this, that, you know, they don't have to have a drawn out process. Mm -hmm. But I think the more information they're unable or the more information they're able to unearth Mm -hmm. the better the case that they're making to the american people like you're always going to have sort of this weird fox news bubble where hannity is existing in this certain place but even now we're seeing these reports that paul ryan who sits on the board for uh fox news Mm -hmm. now is secretly sort of telling rupert murdoch's son who's running the company that they should start positioning and supporting different Republicans. Republicans. Yeah. So that's that's why I sort of indicated that maybe Mitch McConnell might shift his position. The best thing that Democrats could do is actually be methodical and deliberate and present all the facts. Like this is different than the Clinton impeachment in the sense that the Clinton impeachment came down to one thing, right? Were you going which which side of like getting a blowjob in the Oval Office where you're going to be on <laughs> when like history looks back on this. Yeah. This is a little bit bigger. This is a little bit more substantial. Yeah. Like there's more to talk about yeah. here. And like if if the president is taking all of these conversations that he's having and they're putting it in these secret servers uh-huh. and they can get access they to what the they Congress, Congress mm-hmm. can get access to all of the things that they've been hiding in this server that was designed to keep the most confidential covert CIA activities, but now just as ho- like home to these routine calls where he is incriminating himself, yeah. it, they should share that. They should make the case. They should continue to put together the case. There was a David Leonhardt um, opinion piece in the New York Times a few days ago. It was just like a list of 45 things that the president has yes, done that. that have mm-hmm. been like an embarrassment to the office or potentially illegal or it, impeachable, impeachable. Yeah. offenses. Mm-hmm. So they should, they should keep building on that list. All right. Now let's get back to uh, the conversations that are embedded in this like secret safe somewhere in the white house. Yeah. Uh, we, they uncovered the one. They, the, mm-hmm. His conversation with the Ukrainian president. Because the whistleblower was able to report on it. My, my guess is they'll resist turning over any others. What do you think? I, I mean, I can't, sp- I, I can't guess. I mean, based on their like previous behavior, yes. I would say that they're not really willing to uh, share information. I think the most important thing is as long as they're not able to destroy it. I know I saw uh, Schiff talking uh, to Rachel Maddow, I think it was last night, where he was saying that Congress has is issued an order to the administration to make sure that they're not destroying any of this material on the server. Who knows if they'll actually comply? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, there have to be enough people who are still working in the CIA, who work for the National Security Council, who care enough about the country that they would hopefully stop any sort of destruction or obstruction. Now, I've been in this bubble 
uh, for at least two hours now away mm -hmm. from breaking news. My guess is that at some point the Republicans will uh, do a counterattack along the lines of what they did uh, in the with the Mueller report and start identifying and naming. Uh, the people who are the whistleblowers. Trump already said. I mean, said, if the New York Times doesn't before them. Yes. Okay. Has had they released the name? Yet? No. Are so they, they this was um this was controversial. They were listing identifying factors of the yes. whistleblower, and Dean Bacay put out a note saying so, that it was in order to create credibility for the source, but the source is already credible because everything that the whistleblower described was almost exactly in the transcript. So do you think they went too far, the New York Times? Yes. Yes, because you had the president on tape at an event basically saying that this whistleblower should be murdered. So you're endangering the You're endangering yeah. the source. The exact uh, quote is, uh, whoever did so was close to a spy, and that quote, in the old days, spies were dealt with uh, dealt with differently. And uh, I think he was, uh, uh, it's not just the whistleblower he was talking about. He was actually talking about whoever it was that fed the whistleblower the information about the phone call, because the whistleblower did not have firsthand knowledge of the phone call. So it would be like more people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, so the whistleblower, <laughs> was identified by the New York Times as a CIA analyst mm -hmm. so who was stationed at the White House. So his job was to constantly have conversations with the people who were in the middle of like all of these different calls or, you know, um, like national security operations. All right. So there's uh, that leads me to the next question, the media's yeah. role in all this. But before we do, let me just follow up with uh my guess is if if the uh, the reaction to the Mueller report or to the investigation into uh, Russiagate is any indication, pretty soon uh, the Republicans will name operatives, name analysts who have somehow have uh, ties to different Democrats, different Democratic campaigns. They'll try to make every. You said what, what's very important that was that we remove politics for this and talk specifically exactly about what went down. But my guess is that Republicans will immediately try to bring politics into it as much as they can in order to discredit uh, the investigation and to give talking points to all the people they trot out into uh, Fox. Uh, so is that your sense of how they're going to proceed? I don't know because... So if you looked at the first wave of comments yesterday, they were ostensibly all no comments. Every Republican senator said, I didn't read it. So the question is, wow. have we reached a point where, again, they're going to make a calculation that having Trump on the ticket is going to be a bigger drag on the party and everything they want than what they previously perceived? And again, I don't know if that we've necessarily reached that point. And you're always going to have a Devin Nunes who does whatever it is that Devin Nunes wants to do. But... Uh, on this, it's been interesting to see on the Senate side mm -hmm. that they just totally dodged it for the most yeah. part um, and now have this two week break. And I think that, you know, Mitch is going to be pretty feverish and trying to figure out what he wants to do next. <laughs> I mean, the, the uh, on the House yeah. side, I don't know what's wrong with Kevin McCarthy, but um, like Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise have just been tweeting up a storm about how all of this is garbage and trying yeah. to show old clips of Democrats railing against Clinton's impeachment. But some of them have to be smart enough to know that this is different. And, you know, it'll 
it'll also be interesting to see what someone like a Lamar Alexander from Tennessee does, right? I've seen some people float around a lot of names of, of Senate Republicans who might finally be the one who stands up. Like Mitt Romney is always like the D.C. media center of intrigue, which yeah. I he's never done anything to prove that. But you have quite a few... Um, retiring Senate Republicans who used to be more normal and who still have some semblance of DNA of like caring about the country or once believing in things. So if you're a Lamar Alexander who's been there forever, who, you know, has been a committee chairman, who, you know, was uh, committed to education and supported No Child Left Behind, which you may argue that wasn't great public policy it's since been revamped but at least it was emblematic of having having a belief that (laughs) you could do something with a with a role to try to improve people's lives Mm -hmm. right what do those people do when they're not up for re-election when all they think about is their legacy and it doesn't really matter if trump posts something like negative about them on twitter because they're done Mm -hmm. you know maybe i think that if anyone is going to flip and there's any sort of movement, it might be someone like that. Like I, I'm, I'm less intrigued by Mitt, even though there was a big Susan story Collins. That's what all Democrats always look to Wait, Maine. Can, okay, can I tell you my really hot take about Susan? Go Collins? ahead. And I am convinced that I'm right about this. I mean, I'm usually convinced I'm right about most things, uh-huh. but I'm especially convinced I'm right about this. So yeah. Susan Collins, for a long time, served alongside Olympia Snow, mm-hmm. who was an actual moderate Republican from Maine, Old who was school. actually. Yeah. Pro- choice and mm-hmm. who is actually a good senator. So people lumped the two of them together because at the time everyone else in the Senate was just a bunch of old white dudes. Yes. So it was like, oh, like Susan Collins is this great moderate defender of things. But really they just were thinking about Olympia, Olympia Snow. Snow yeah. Susan Collins was always jonesing to be like one of the amigos with John McCain and Lindsey Graham and just like talking about bombing all of the Middle East. Olympia Snow was the good senator. So they're just confused. Well, that's that's. I wish I knew that back in the uh, during the Brett Kavanaugh days. But we, yeah, I, broken, c- I could have told you. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Everybody was waiting. How is she going to go on this vote? And that was one of the most uh, disappointing uh, turnouts. All right, um, the media's role in all this. Uh, you were there. You were part of the the media beast in Washington for yeah. uh, several years. What role will the media be playing in this unfolding? <sighs> My hope, although I'm not holding my breath, is that they don't focus on this political part of it. Like, what does this mean? Because the political part is the safe part, right? Mm -hmm. The political part and the point scoring part is the thing that you can easily both sides. The substantive part, the integrity of the republic, the, the integrity of our election systems, That's harder to both sides because right now one side is the bad faith actor and one side isn't. And so my hope is, is that the vast majority of the reporting, the meaningful reporting, looks at the substance of what's being unearthed. I am not convinced that that is even going to be the majority of the coverage, but if the media were to be responsible, that would be the focus of the coverage, but it's harder That's the harder work. We're seeing some of it, right? I think the reason we're here, the reason this inquiry is being opened was, again, what we discussed earlier. Adam Schiff put out this statement, investigative reporters at some of our flagship newspapers 
went after it, right? So that part is good. It's the political speculative part that is bad. And that's the thing you're going to see, you know, reporters asking Democrats who are out on the trail right now, right? You have all of these embeds who are chasing every single Democratic candidate for president, and they shouldn't be asking all the time, what do you think this means for your prospects in 2020? Because that's a distraction but that's the easy part, and that's the part again. There's some that you editor like Republicans in Washington say, asking them to ask that. Of course, because yeah. let me tell you how editors in Washington work. They wake up in the morning, they watch Morning Joe, they see whatever these insiders are talking about to each other, and that's what they want you to report on. And that's divorced oftentimes from one, the reality of the world that we live in, um, but also just like the important stuff, right? We shouldn't let groupthink take hold, and we shouldn't let the politics of this dictate how we talk about it because at the end of the day when people talk about this a hundred years from now when some poor person hopefully not in texas writes the history books (laughs) for what we're living through right now it's not going to be the he said she said political horse race tracking polls Uh it's going to be the substantive nature of like were we able to protect the integrity of of the executive branch, yeah. did the legislative branch hold the executive in check? And were we able to continue? Because the rebuilding process is gonna be incredibly hard. Like we've spent the past 25 years eroding the institutions of this republic, whether it was trust in media or trust in government. And again, I'm not gonna both sides that erosion. I think that there's one party that was more responsible for it than the other. Mm-hmm. But in order to reemerge, I think we're gonna have to be really honest and confront as honestly and as substantially if substantively as possible the moment we're living through now Mm. and what's happened and how much has already been traded away and how much have we lost in order to build back and to gain again all right that is meredith shiner that was one heck of a riff that she closed down uh, the show with or at least this portion of the show with uh thank you very much for coming in here sharing all your knowledge i am definitely going to ask you to come back maybe have you do be our special uh, i love that this is date. i love this is like at the running bit at the end of the show like jimmy kimmel is like i ran out of time for matt damon yeah uh well we have the heartland mamas here unless you want to stick around for them i'm sure they have some interesting thoughts on whistleblower gate as well like they got their coffee ready. i mean i was i was a little nervous when you said that i was the opening act for the heartland mamas because that sounded a lot more fun than what i was going to bring to the table well if you want to stick around the heartland mamas are only two happy to share the mic uh and uh, we'll make that decision as we take this break i will be right back after this today's ben jaromsky show was brought to you in part by chicago architecture center discover the breadth and majesty of chicago's architecture on a chicago architecture center bus tour from bungalows to Bauhaus. our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture book your tour at architecture.org slash tours now if you'll excuse me i'm actually on a bus tour right now oh my look at that wonderful piece of architecture Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL resident. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. 
food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. There are people here I know who disagree with me about this proposal, and that's healthy in our democracy. But to be clear, doing nothing is not an option. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Heidi Henry in the studio. Uh, Murray Briel in the studio. Yeah, the Harlem Mamas have returned. Meredith Shiner said, oh, man, I got to meet the Harlem Mamas. So- I mean, <laughs> I, they're the celebrities I never knew I needed to meet, and now I'm here. All right, well, Heidi Henry uh, and Murray, explain to Meredith and everybody else why you're called the Heartland Mamas. You want to take it away, Murray? Sure. Well, Heidi and I are tired of hearing all of the pundits and the media telling us that the Heartland folks are all conservative, we're all Trump voters, it's all red. And we started talking, you know, that's not the case. There's a lot of areas in Illinois particularly that are turning blue, that are purple, counties that we've won that we haven't won before. So as we were talking, we decided that we would um, do something together. And then we were talking about presidential candidates and we decided we needed a woman not just a woman, but a mother, because who's better to take care of a dysfunctional nation, just like a big family reunion or holiday. You got drunk uncle so-and-so in the corner. You got crazy Aunt Mary claiming that there's aliens coming out of the tree. You got the teenagers who are too busy on their phones to care about anything. So it's kind of a good example for our country. And we said, it's about time we have some mamas to kick things into gear. Uh, And and, uh, Heidi, of course, ran uh, in the state Senate District 38 against Sue Resin, which Mm -hmm. is a red district. It is. Right? It's really pretty purple. 
You know? It's actually way more purple than you think. Than you think. Well, what, did, what did Clinton get in that? Do you remember? I don't remember. Okay, yeah. And, and I told you I wasn't a Clinton supporter because he was a dog. Yeah, well. So my husband talked me into voting for Perot. The first oh time. my god i know can you believe i would vote for that well, that, you know? well we're now uh okay i, I don't want to go back to ancient history no, no, no. but i do i will say this i've always said that i thought that bill clinton was the luckiest guy in the world because parole yes. was in a race that yeah but now you're proving the point that when i ever say this uh, my good friend mcdumkey always says well ben you know perot took as many votes from clinton as he took from george bush and you're proving sort of i'm mixed. kind of proving mixed point yes yeah. uh, but i still think that for every Every one of you, there were two who would have I voted know. for Bush, and George Bush would have won re-election yep. in 1992 if not for Ross Perot. Yep. And so yep. everything that Clinton said that Democrats should do yes. is really based on a fallacy. Everything that Clinton says about moving to the right to claim the middle is based on him having a third-party candidate that siphoned off Republican votes. There, the, the, there is no middle because the middle is actually to the right. The, the middle's gone. The middle is owned by the right. So anytime somebody tells you, I, I, I mixed it up with, um, with my uh, state representative last night at a meeting because he is a move to the middle actually to the right Democrat who voted against RHA, who voted against Fix the Void. He voted against women and children. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. And and he's a newly elected person. And so when he wanted to come and talk to me about it, and I've been trying to reach out to him for, for months since he's been elected about these issues, um, when you take those bread and butter Democratic value issues off the table, and the only thing you're willing to vote for as a Democrat is right-to-work legislation, legislation and some union hand cherry-picked union legislation and you're willing to throw domestic violence victims gun victims children school children uh and all women's rights under the bus i'm sorry i don't care where you live you're wrong and you're a dino so i completely agree we have a lot of dinos dinos uh running out in that area Democrats. I just figured out what it was. Democrats named all. It took me a while, Meredith. I'm a I, dino. I thought you were actually just saying that they were dinosaurs. They yeah, were old white they, dudes who were out of touch. Yeah, yes, oh, yeah, that too. They're, yeah. they're the old, the the good old boys. And my area is. <laughs> It's just swamped with them. I was like, Dino, Dino. dino. I heard, yeah. I heard Rhino because I'm on the Tea Party uh, mailing list or email. I get all their emails. They're oh. talking about Rhinos. This so it took me a while, but I figured out what a he, Rhino was. He used Tea Party talking points to defend, defend his position yesterday. Tea Party and NRA talking points is how he was defending his vote to me yesterday. Do you know how irritating that is? I mean, I don't expect him to be a progressive like me, but I expect him to be a Democrat. Right. Well, this, again, uh, Meredith was just counseling me not to go political and just... Oh, sorry. Uh, and, well, but there is <laughs> political uh, ramifications to all this stuff. So before we go back to Whistleblower Gate, I think uh, the standard strategy of the Democratic Party when dealing with districts like yours yeah. is uh, to go right. And I remember this mm -hmm. from the 26 congressional campaigns uh, when the Democrats took back the House and Mayor Rahm at the time, he was, was yeah, Congressman Rahm, his strategy was to find Democrats who in many ways were just like Republicans, yes. but happened to be running under the Democratic banner. Right. And that is how you win. So you're talking about 2006 and i want to say something it wasn't necessarily 
the thing that was so damaging in like a persistent way wasn't necessarily the candidates he chose. It was that if you remember, Rom and Howard Dean were having this fight. So mm-hmm. Rom was the head of the campaign arm of House Democrats, and Howard Dean was running the DNC. And what Rom said was, "Is I want to invest in the races that I think I can win." And then I don't want to pay attention to the races that I can't. Whereas Howard Dean wanted to invest in a 50-state strategy, which was we shouldn't leave any state behind. Mm -hmm. Every state should have a functioning Democratic Party because you should compete and you should run races and you should um, make everything on the board competitive. Because when you think about all of these um, campaign organizations, whether it's the DNC, the DTRIP, or the DSCC, particularly in a world pre-Citizens United, they were the money clearing houses. And by divesting, you weakened all of these state legislatures. Right. And then all of those state legislatures drew maps. And now you have congressional maps that don't match the actual <laughs> population and how they're voting. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that, look, People talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and they talk about progressives um, from the last cycle. Not every district is going to be as liberal as AOC. It's like I hear this all the time when national reporters are talking about the Lipinski race, for example. Like Dan Lipinski is a Republican. I don't know that AOC could run in that district and win. But when you look at Lauren Underwood and Sean Caston, Mm -hmm. who I would say are progressives, but they're not nearly as far as I actually think AOC could win in that district. I, I, I really I, I, Sanders won that district over Hillary yes, Clinton in 2016. He did, and and here's the thing: in a primary, right? well, that's what in she would have. To, that's what AOC would have to win. AOC yeah. would have to win the primary. Winning the primary is tantamount to winning. All the I'm election. saying is that like every district isn't the I same, what you're and yeah. and like when you look at the Democrats who won last cycle, I think that they were pretty true Democrats, but they sort of fell on a spectrum and you should allow for a spectrum because we we shouldn't flatten it. So, so the problem with Rom was not necessarily all of the candidates he picked in that moment. I'm sure there have been many more problems since then Uh, in the past 13 years, you can build a pretty long resume. It's that Every state should have a Democratic Party. Well, that's part of why we decided to do what we do is because there are areas where we are building this bench that wasn't there before, and we are Mm -hmm. taking back areas, and we want to reach those folks who feel like they are lost. We were in Princeton in Bureau County to do one of the first debates. Oh, this is good. And there's a young gentleman who's there, and you know he looks late 20s and comes in, and no one had knew him, and we're talking to folks and it turns out he had moved to Rochelle. He was a teacher and he was so excited to see Democrats because in bureau, you'll see the Trump trucks like Trump all over it. In Army Saint, trucks. Yeah. Decked yeah, out in trucks. Republican in Trump talking points. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend had moved here from the city to be with him and uh, she was afraid for him to come to the Democratic headquarters. She was terrified, afraid somebody was going to do something during the debate. That's insane that you should be able to, to, that you would feel like that. Well, I think it's insane to be afraid in Princeton. (laughs) Um, You know, this is really interesting. My husband makes this point. Um, So I met him in D.C., but he uh, grew up in Georgia uh, and he grew up in the district that's now the Lucy McBath district. But Mm -hmm. when they were talking about the Ossoff race, when Mm -hmm. Ossoff lost, um, 
you know, one of the things that got talked about in 2016 were yard signs, right? Uh, Historic or um, not historically, famously, infamously, the Hillary Clinton campaign wasn't giving out yard signs to people. They're like, like, oh, this isn't important. And when my husband grew up, like when he was in high school, he made friends with someone and they made friends and they were the first Democrats each other had met. And there was like something about being able to put a yard sign like in your yard to say, hey, like I'm a Democrat, not everyone you know on this block or in this town as a Republican was really important. And that's why uh, places like Princeton, to have a county party office, Bureau County had never had one before. They do now. Kendall County had never had one before. And last year, they opened one in Oswego. And it's packed. So there's all these areas that are all right, let me ask you this. Uh, by the way, did I hear you correctly? You had to buy your Hillary Clinton's yard I did. Side? My husband, in 2016, he bought me a shirt for every day of the week. We had stemware and not one, but four Hillary Clinton signs, because I live in the country and I have a big yard. So. Yeah. <laughs> but by the way, she's the horse trainer, everybody. Remember, she's the horse whispering. Whispers the, are you whispering the horse about uh, whistleblower gate? <laughs> you know, we were talking this morning. So. Uh, you, you and Mr. Ed. Me uh, and Shane. Shane's my horse. Shane's a horse. All right. Yeah. So, um, uh, so when you talk about it's exciting that people are showing up, what are the, what are driving uh, people to show up at Democratic activities? What's motivating people? I, I really think that people are looking for answers that they're not getting from Fox News. And, you know, when you talk about Whistleblower Gate, I went and tuned into local uh, Ottawa radio yesterday and could believe it's like why do I turn this on you know because it's so slanted they were focusing on a poll that was done two months ago about impeachment instead of talking about today's issues to dissuade people from wanting impeachment so um when when we talk about these bread and butter issues like health care health care is huge we keep talking we need to be sure we're talking that point we need to be sure as democrats we're talking about climate change because that is directly impacting the things that happen in our area and when we get dis- distracted from health care issues economic issues climate issues and we start talking about uh, lgbtq issues which are super important and we start talking about women's rights issues, specifically reproductive care, we start splitting our party down. And what we do know as a fact is that when we can win on climate and health care and education um, and economics, when we can win on those issues, those other ones will fall into place. As a feminist, as somebody who believes that sustainable feminism must pre come first before sustainable progressivism, I understand the fact that there are things that we need to do to put in place to make everything happen. It's like dominoes. You've got to set them up in order or, or building with blocks. So when I look at these issues out by us, when we get off, off track and we start talking about social issues instead of the issue of do you have your medication, do you have access to your doctor, can you get help? Out by us, people literally have died in labor because we've lost rural hospital systems. So we need to make sure that we keep those issues in front of people and we stop talking about um, things that we really can't control. We can't do a federal background check here in Illinois. We can't. We have no ability to do that. So when our local politicians are stuck on that issue, they forget that there is a bigger issue that we can win on. All right. Uh, you let you get a uh, thought in. You're about to say something and get your thought. Then I will get curious what Meredith's response is. Go ahead. Well, 
I think the biggest problem in the heartland, in those purple areas, in those reddish blue areas, is that our messaging is incorrect. As a party, we are really bad. We have allowed our terms to be co-opted into something that they're not. And when you talk to people, we've been to Ohio and been to a Trump rally. We talk to people who are Republican supporters and Trump lovers. And when you take away the terms, when you take away socialism, when you take away and you simply talk about the facts, like how are the tariffs doing? What do you mean tariffs? Most of the time they don't know. And you start talking and go, well, are the farmers doing better or worse? Or are you doing better or worse? Well, the stock market's great. Yeah, the stock market's great. So I don't have much in stocks. Do you? No. (laughs) Are you making more than you did four years ago? Those were questions we we asked when we were in Cincinnati. Those are people we stopped to talk to on the street that were Trump supporters. And once you start breaking down those terms that have been co-opted and made so derogatory by the right, people are like, no, that's why. Yeah, we should really think about that. Oh, that's good. So it's it's reframing the conversation is huge. We are terrible on messaging, just terrible. I know you have thoughts. Look, uh, I'm not going to pretend like I have some of the firsthand on the ground knowledge that you all do. But I remember when I was here last time, we were talking about healthcare and the debates because it was around one of the Democratic debates. And I think one of the things that Democrats have really failed on, although I think Cory Booker made this point in in one of the many debates that I've watched, is that at the end of the day, every Democrat on that stage believes in universal health care. Yes. What do we mean by universal health care? That everyone should have access to health insurance and mm-hmm. that health care is a human right. There are disagreements right now about how to get there, but if you look at the past decade, Democrats were the ones who risked their careers to vote for the Affordable Care Act. Some of them lost. Democrats have time and time again fought against Republican assaults to this law. Is it succeeding the way it should? It is not. But right now you see candidates who are having a debate over whether or not we should have single payer or a public option and that doesn't matter nearly as much as presenting that there is unanimity in mm-hmm. the democratic party that people should have this access and that republicans are trying to take it away mm-hmm. and so we shouldn't get hung up on buzzwords right medicare for all doesn't mean anything Nothing. because it means something different to each candidate mm-hmm. what does mean something is i believe everyone should have access to health insurance and everyone on this stage every democrat in congress for the most part except for dan lapin is committed <laughs> is committed to yeah. making sure that Americans in this country have access to health insurance because without insurance you don't get access to the kind of care that you need. When you talk yeah. about rural hospitals, yes. one of the most disappointing and distressing things is that 75% of the rural hospitals that have closed I think in the past decade have closed in states where Republican governors refuse to expand Medicaid just out of spite. And one of the things that's really concerning when you live in those rural areas is that uh, two out of five hospitals in rural areas are owned by the Catholic health care system, which allows them to deny reproductive health care. It allows them to restrict uh, birth control. We've actually had a lot of issues with that out in in, in, LaSalle. in, in LaSalle County. We have uh, OSF 
controls every hospital but one. Now, all right, Heidi, now let me get back to something that you were talking about, like the social issues that uh, are controversial, yes. social issues that can peel uh, wedge issues, basically, is what we- they are. Wedge issues, They're very yes. emotional. You could peel people who would, uh, away from the Democratic Party. Right. Uh, Democrats absolutely can say, let's just agree uh, to disagree and move on and concentrate on the things that we really believe in, even if there's some nuanced differences between us and some of these other issues. But you know, and this is what I was getting at uh, earlier with Meredith in terms of whistleblower gate, you know, it's not like it's like the it's it's not as though the Republicans are just going to be sitting back and allowing you to say, oh, yeah, we're going to have our moment here. They were going to force someone like you yeah. to 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 tell people what's your position right. on abortion. I mean, they'll yes. that's, they won't call it reproductive rights, they'll right? Call it abortion. So well, and I think that's part of the, the the way Democrats need to reframe the abortion debate. It is not about abortion. It is about access to women's health care. And when we take that fight word out and we start talking about access to health care, I'll. Out where I live, we lost a, a hospital in Streeter. So now it's over an hour to get in to, to give birth somewhere. And God help you if you're having problems or you're having a home birth that goes badly or, you know, it comes the baby comes early or anything. Anything can happen. And the thing with limiting our access to reproductive care through Planned Parenthood, which started in my lifetime, and was in the basement of every county health department dispensing simple reproductive health care to young and poor women. That's where they started, and that's where they belong. When I was down in Springfield in Sangamon County, they're now giving out, um, I can't remember the name of the pill to prevent HIV, the spread of the disease, mm-hmm. the deadly, deadly disease of, H- of HIV and AIDS. So they're giving away the free, the other pill, as they call it. And I can't think of the name of Trivada. it. Trivada, yeah. So they're giving it away to protect the people that live there, thanks be to God. I mean, how wonderful that we have something that can protect vulnerable people. Why is it that that's okay? But you can't, you can go there and get discounted or free uh, birth control even at our health at our health department, but we can't have a specific measure to help prevent unwanted and unplanned pregnancies, which is the cause of abortion. You know, so that's taking back our verbiage as women and calling it health care. It is just part of being who we are. But I wanted to tell you that I was in Kansas last week. And in Kansas they elected a Democratic governor and I was able to talk to one of their legislators there. Part of their package going into the election was to expand Medicaid because they were at the risk of losing 16 16 rural hospitals. Now, Mm -hmm. I had never been to Kansas before. The word vast in Kansas go together. (laughs) I mean, oh my God, it's just grass forever. It's beautiful. But you get to a hospital in the middle of nowhere, and it's no bigger than my indoor riding arena that I ride Shane in. Seriously, it's 60 by 135 is my indoor. And their hospital system is about that size. And it's in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by tens of thousands of acres and can take hours to get to for people. And it's gonna go away because when they elected this governor and they only had 41% of their legislature, none of the Republicans came on board and they didn't take Medicaid expansion. And by the way, like this was free money. The first few years were 100% funded by the federal government. And I believe that, 
through 2021, it was more than 90%. So it was just turning down free money. Sitting there, it, but they don't do a good job of messaging. You have to understand the biggest employer in Kansas is Coke Brothers and Coke subsidiaries. But after that, ranching is ranching and healthcare are the top employers. Look, you invited me onto the show weeks ago to talk about something that was women's health related. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but Bye. I do think, <laughs> no, I'm, I, it's too long of a conversation yeah. to start now, but I, I, I do think that we need to have a more honest conversation about what access to women's health care means, because for so many years, like the conversation around women's health care has been completely vilified by yes. people who hate women. Right. Planned Parenthood isn't just giving abortions to everyone. That's no, not the title. 10, the title 10 money that they get is to provide healthcare at low cost to people who need it most. And now when you see states like Missouri where they only have one clinic left, like this is a huge problem and people are driving for hours to go there. And that clinic is at risk of shuttering. Every woman in every state in this country should have equal access to the kind of health care she needs mm -hmm. to live a healthy life. And that looks different for different women, but we should have that fundamental belief. And I think that the conversation that frames women's health care is just rife with misogyny. Yes. And it's left us in this place where women are sick, where women are dying, where we have higher maternal death rates, particularly if you're a woman of color, oh gosh, than most yes. other other countries and why is that and why is that okay and to, to yeah. have an honest conversation about what women health care means you know it should be part of the larger health care conversation if people mm -hmm. believe as they do so passionately uh, that health care should be a human right well women are human too yes <laughs> exactly it's it's got to be part of the health care debate period and I'd like to throw in there with what you said autonomous that's a big thing. You know, we have the right to control our bodies, you know, so we should be able to do that, decide what's best for us, like you said. Exactly. And we just want the ability. It doesn't mean we're going to make everybody. That's the biggest argument I hear is, well, then everybody will get an abortion. Really? Seriously? Well, let me ask like, you this. If you, uh, you ran, you ran for yes. state Senate, mm -hmm. uh, was this issue used against you? Was the issue, the abortion no. issue used against you? I, I told you, Ben, the only issues used against me were by my own party. So. You have told me that a few times on the air. And no, and I, have I ever elaborated? No. no. Uh, so. But we're talking about in the general election. Yeah. No, it um, it never came up. And when the vote came up after, it was completely a non-issue in my race. Uh, education funding was an issue. Uh, I have to tell you, the person I ran against would never, she would never debate me. We only got to speak in the same place twice and I, I mopped the floor with her twice um so if i may say if so i may myself. say so well that's <laughs> it was uh uh you know i was i would just love to see uh, the three of you are speaking so passionately about this issue i would just love am to i see. an honorary mama now yeah, yeah. yeah. Be an honorary <laughs> mama we would love that doris davenport is an honorary she mama is. too uh but i would love to see somebody just do the counterpunch that you're doing right here. The counterpunch yeah. in a debate. Boom. D Democrats seem they're so scared of this issue. They and run that's away. why we go back to reframing the argument, reframing, taking back what we're trying to accomplish as Democrats, as human beings, decency, empathy, 
the F, I mean, oh, it's, that's. So, um, NARAL, which is one of the biggest uh, pro-choice women's health care advocacy groups in the country, just celebrated its 50th anniversary. And last night there was this a big, big event in New York and lots of like famous political women and celebrities, they all attended this event and they had different panels. And one of the things that I was really interested to see um, when I was looking at people who were posting from the event, um, they had a conversation with the president of NARAL and um, a researcher from Media Matters. And um, they showed a graph of where people get their news and information about abortion. And a plurality of it comes from anti-choice conservative websites. Yes. And then that information gets amplified on Facebook. And so I've been having a lot of conversations lately about whether or not it makes sense to engage in these conversations, because by engaging in them, you might bring more attention to the people exactly. who are promoting the propaganda. But the problem is, is that if we don't have honest conversations about the reality of women's health care, the reality of abortion, the reality of loss, then we let all of the information come from these websites that are anti-science, mm -hmm. because this is one of the things that we really need to fight to frame it. It's not just anti-woman, because some people don't care about like women. Like the heartbeat it's, bills. It's, all of the heartbeat yes. bills that have been coming out, not any in the last couple months, but we had an onslaught of them mm -hmm. with every state you can imagine that was a red state. And Heidi's mom was actually an OBGYN nurse. Mm -hmm. And the, the best part is it, you, exactly what you said. They frame it as a heartbeat bill when actually it's not technically a heartbeat. It's the electrical impulses because it doesn't, isn't able of to- molecules slamming together. Yes, so <laughs> they're claiming that it's a heartbeat, but it actually isn't medically and scientifically. Well, in, in, I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah. oversimplifying that, but, but you know, it's, it's just energy and it's not a baby, right? So when we talk about it is, are you really a mama? Are you a mama? No, not well, yet. For mama? Yeah. For baby mama? For I, mm, I, it's very complicated. I'm sorry. So, so I, had, I, had, I, had a, yeah, I, we could, we could throw down about complicated stuff, <laughs> but, and I have furry grandchildren, so I just, you know, and I have no problem with that. I love them, but as, as a person who struggled with fertility issues, I'm really struggled. My kids are eight years apart mm -hmm. and then. And then, and then, as I'm on the table having my daughter after struggling to have her, the doctor makes my husband sign off on my tubal. If I hadn't had a spinal, I would have gotten up and beat him. <laughs> but I couldn't oh, move at that husband. moment. I, not him. Okay. Dr. Wong. Oh, Dr. Wong. Okay. He was wonderful, yeah. and I loved him very but much. Back but then, there was a law that said that you had to have your husband's approval yeah. if you wanted to have well, a tubal ligation, and that was 22 years ago. 24. 24 almost, yeah, 24 years ago. So, you know, here's, here, here am I. I'm, I'm numb from the neck down, you know, having this an, another emergency C-section after struggling to have children. Are you sure you want to have, don't want to have any more? Do you think I want to put myself through this? You know, do you really think that I want to put my family through this every time? No, I'm done. If Stan has to sign that paper, then then do it. Stan, sign it quickly, because if you don't, I'm doing it myself. You know? <laughs> wow. Well, I, you know, that, I can that, figure it out. Um, so. I know you have something you want to say, Meredith, so say it. Um, look, I think that when we talk about women's health care, we should have 
conversations that are scientifically grounded, that are grounded in reality, that are not only pro-woman, but pro-family. Yes. Um, so when we talked a few weeks ago about you wanting to have me on, it was because I had written an open letter to House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy that had run in the Daily Beast because... Um, a little more than a month ago, I guess it was five or six weeks ago now, uh, I went into preterm labor and I was five months pregnant and we lost our son and mm -hmm. he was born alive. But the House Republicans have promoted this anti-science, anti-woman and anti-family legislation called the Born Alive Survivors Protection Act. Yes. And they post yes. pictures of healthy six month babies and no woman is 14 months pregnant, wanting to have an abortion. 99% of abortions that happen in this country happen before 21 weeks. No one, no woman is walking around nine months pregnant, not wanting a child. They've designed legislation to remedy a problem that doesn't exist. And it would just put the doctors and nurses who helped me and helped my family on our worst day in prison because that's what they want to do is they want to send doctors and nurses to jail because they want to promote this reality to scare people, to scare people who live in communities like yours, to make them think that there are these big, bad liberals who live in cities and want to murder babies. Guess what? If you were nine months pregnant, delivered a baby in a street and left that baby in a dumpster, you would go to prison because you would actually be prosecuted. They're not designing bills to fix problems. What they are doing is trying to scare people. They're trying to own the conversation by framing women, doctors, nurses, and criminals by building an alternate reality that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have these conversations, if we don't create voices and faces of people who are real, um, like one of the reasons I did it, I used to be a congressional reporter. Every top political reporter and editor in Washington knows me. And they shared, they saw this short story and they shared this story. And House Republicans might try to put this bill on the floor again. They probably will because everything else is going to garbage, right? Um, but I wanted them to think about my face before they did because it's not about point scoring. It's not about characterizing this as something to energize a base. When one party makes their position anti-science, they try to make it so that the media, when they're promoting pro-science stories, are anti-conservative. And that's destructive because science isn't both sides. And you see it with climate change. You see it with women's yes. health. And it's time for us to be honest and about where we are. Women, ha we have to stop vilifying women for having reproductive issues, period. Having struggled with them under certain legislation, the things that I went through, uh, I would have ended up in jail for something my body just could not do on its own. So, um, you know, when I read about the ectopic telling people that they can take an ectopic. Okay, that is absolutely the most bananas <laughs> Well, okay, and and here's what's so bananas about it, and this was what was so upsetting. So this, so there was a um, pro-life propagandist who posted this video to Facebook where she was saying that there is no circumstance under which a woman's life is at risk during a pregnancy, and they're trying to say that atopic pregnancies aren't dangerous to women. And so then Facebook had this new fact-checking team that went to fact-checked this video, and then you had Ted Cruz and Josh Howley and two other Senate Republicans 
have yes. Facebook take the fact check down because the fact check was anti-conservative because conservatives have positioned themselves as anti-science. Yeah. That's so Facebook messed take it down? up. They took it down. They took the fact check down. But so the video is still out there yes. as propaganda. So the, the video remains, but the but fact check is gone. But not the information so, associated. So we have, yeah. we have all this. Facts. Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have all this misinformation out there. And the problem is, is it gets women killed. It, it kills us because we can't have the health care that we need. Well, and one of the things that is so important that ties in with that is the fact that a lot of areas don't get shows like this. When we were driving down to Ohio, it was all conservative. It was all conservative radio. We heard a sheriff's deputy say that if any of those protesters at the Trump rally step out of line, Actually, they're coming with. We're coming with billy clubs, and we'll beat you down. That's this is what people are hearing, and they don't have access to broadband. They don't. Cell service is often sketchy. You don't have serious. The one thing we noticed trapped with a lack of information. What we noticed when we went south to go see to to Cincinnati and lots of Jesus signs. (laughs) When you drive down sixty five through Indiana, every thirty miles there's a God installation, an angry, vengeful God installation. Either in art or in um, in word in wording, and I've never felt so threatened in my life until I was. We went to stop. I forgot my toothbrush, and we're in the Walgreens, and a guy's got a Bushmaster strapped to his back. I'm like, for Walgreens in Kentucky, I really wanted to go home. I really do think that we should build a wall between Illinois and Indiana, and make Indiana pay for it. I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I think we'd be better off. Uh, all my Hoosier friends out there, those uh, thoughts and opinions are Meredith Shiners, and they all not reflect the larger opinions of the Ben Jarofsky Show. We're going to take a brief break oh, and come right back. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago, and people, they are amazing. Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sundays, 12 until 7 p.m. Seven days a week, books, furniture, appliances, lamps, clothes. It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. I'm looking at pictures right now of Green Element. Oh, there's categories. I see categories. Everybody, you can get categories right now at Green Element Resale. Better get there fast. I only see one categories. all right? So, also, I'm looking here. I'm looking at Green Element Re. Oh, there's a scarf. Guys, a scarf right now. GreenElementResale.com. And uh, you can call them as well. Uh, Green Element Resale. Let's see if I can find the phone number of these guys. They're at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago, right between uh, Devon and Granville. It's a fantastic place. It's GreenElementResale.com. Hang tight. I'll get you the number. Maybe you can call them up and say, hey, uh, hang, hold on to that scarf for me. Hold on. Just, I'll get the number. One second. Green Island Resale is awesome, guys. 6241. Here we go. 773-942-6522. It's Green Element Resale. Go there and save tons of money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We're at the end of a show, a great show. It has been a very moving show. Uh, the Heartland Mamas are in the studio, uh, Heidi Henry, uh, Murray Briel. Meredith Shiner stuck around after uh, giving also, a... Also a Heartland Mama she's now. She's now an honorary <laughs> Heartland Mama. Yeah. Uh, she's got a badge to show it and everything. Uh, it seems <laughs> like your, your, your numbers grow every time you come to the show. You, you enlisted Doris Davenport the last time you are here. So before we head out the door... Uh, Heidi, you got any uh, messages you want to give, any promotions you want to give, any 
websites, et cetera, and so forth. Sure. HeartlandMamas, M-A-M-A-S dot com. Uh, we're working on a four-part series of um, the Great Red Divide Tour. We were, we did, I did 2,000 miles through the Midwest and the Great Plains talking to um, people, public servants, politicians, people that own businesses, lots and lots of farmers, a couple of ranchers found out that we're actually related to two people that work cows on horses with horses every day. I had no idea. Um, and talking to them about the issues that hit them right there in those red states. And like I, I related some of the of what I heard in Kansas. And the people in Kansas are terrified about their health care. They are really in, an, in a bad place right now. Um, in, in Iowa, we're going to talk about Iowa tomorrow when we, when we record, um, and the, the problems that Joni Ernst has manufactured for her state with her horrible lack of leadership, um, and the people that I ran into that are running against her coming up, she said that she's so focused on uh, ethanol that she can't read a whistleblower report. <laughs> it's like eight nine pages. pages. Yeah, nine yeah. pages. Guys, it's right here. You could just you don't even have to read the whole report. It's New York Times made us uh, put Sean it on the Kasten front page. Had, had tweeted that he read it on his way walking from the car yeah. to the yeah. It was pretty quick. Yeah. It's I, not like this one, okay? Oh, right. The, the Mueller report, which of course I've read, by the way. Uh, so, well, do you have like political lit like Bookmarking your pages in the Mueller report because that's that's yeah. a scene. <laughs> Let's not let that get out. All right. Well, there was a long time where I was obsessively reading sections of the Mueller report on this show, uh, and I think I enjoyed the Mueller report a little too much. Do you know, there's a Mueller report book club.com so you can actually form a Mueller report book club if you want. All right. So, but I did I, not know that. In my travels, I was invade, invited to the steak fry. I brought you some some. A little bit of stuff there, and I got to hear 19 different candidates speak. And and uh, when we were at the Iowa State Fair, it was like the last day of the Hickenlooper campaign, but he yeah. was giving out koozies. So I'm sure I those know, will be a that. collector's item that no one will want one day. You've got a lot of Tom Steyer it stickers. Goes in a time well, capsule. you know, here's he's the, got a lot of money to print the yeah, stickers. I was say, yeah. Here's the interesting thing about uh, I was actually a guest of Kamala Harris, who stood me up. Mm. So, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. She's, so, she's going to lose that Harlan Mama vote. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily. I, I would vote for a turnip over you know, or for, Oh, for over Donald John? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, but there was no merch at her place except for a couple of stickers and a waterlogged sign, so I brought that back. Um, but you had to pay for Biden stuff. You could get pretty much anything you wanted from Williamson. Some of it had a, had a small fee. But I noticed that... Um, Oh, yeah, there you go. I, go I tried to bring Even back. the button weirds me out. Like, also, like, if you're wearing that, are you trying to send a signal to the world that you're an anti-vaxxer? Does it I, look like Tori well, Amos to it, you from the 80s, from the 90s? I can oh, see yeah. that. Well, yeah. and her, her booth was all pink and light blue, and you could buy a selection of her books. Wait, too. I'm sorry. Is this Iowa or Illinois? This is, is Iowa. Iowa. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. We have run out of time. We're going to shut down this show for the day. We have some bonus uh, episodes coming up, and we have, uh, don't forget, we're going to have our trivia contest. Are we going to put that on the internet, D? Uh, it's going to be live streamed. About, live streamed. We're shooting for 5 o'clock. Hopefully five o'clock. we'll get it by then. All right. Very good. I want to thank Meredith Shiner. I want to thank uh, Heidi Henry, Murray Brio, Ramana Hussein. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, 
whether they're hot heartland mamas you can follow them they have a podcast they're super cool and they come on my show whatever i can get them to drive down that road to chicago i really we, appreciate we it. love it we love coming thanks for having <laughs> us and i love you you're amazing it's a lot of love in the show and of course how about a little love to the man the myth the legend Woo. the pride and joy of alton illinois uh ladies and gentlemen dr d give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash see you on tuesday everybody and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, you know we live stream this show, right? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Once again, at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And, hey, we uh, Facebook video live stream the program as well, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on both Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, we're going to do a little bonus today. We're calling it for 10 trivia points, news mixed with trivia, and Ben's add-on questions. It's going to be a good time. Check it out. We'll see you soon.